and you can be seated. We are, like Brother Steele, like Sister Brown said, missing our pastor very much while he is traveling. But at the same time, we are so blessed to have Brother David Geddes here and his beautiful family. Amen. They have... Uh, they're, they're uh, joining us here at Live Church, and we have the honor of uh, hearing him preach to us this morning. So, Brother David, why don't you come and just take your liberty? So glad to have you here, man. Thank you so much, Pastor Caleb. I'm so honored to be here, and we're so excited to be in, in California. Um, you know, sometimes you, you go through situations where the will of God begins to unfold in your life. And you just kind of have to go with whatever God has planned. And for us, what God had planned was moving from literally four weeks ago, it snowed there in Spokane, Washington, down to beautiful, sunny California. So I'm not going to complain about what God's doing. We're so thankful to be here. We're so thankful for the, the warm welcome and some of the friendships that we've already made in this church. I give honor to Pastor and Sister Brown for their leadership of this church and the vision that they have. It's such a powerful vision, and the church and the production, everything that goes on in this church is a testament to, to their uh, execution of excellence. And all of you that get on board and help and volunteer, we give honor to you. To our guests that are here today, I'd like to say thank you to all the guests that have come out to the house of the Lord today. Can we welcome the guests? Give them a hand clap. I love it when there's guests at church. Our guests are literally the reason that we do what we do. It's not for us, all these songs that we sing. It's not for us. I mean, it's great. We love worshiping Jesus, but we worship Jesus to get the power to come down because we believe so much in the power of Jesus that has changed our life so much that we believe if you can experience the Jesus that we experienced, that you'll walk out of this place a different way than you came in. And that's our passion today is we really want you to experience Jesus I have a crazy question, and I understand this is my first time I've ever standing in this pulpit, but I have a crazy question to ask this congregation. I wonder if anyone would be, be bold enough to answer me. And that is, is there anybody here that has never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues? Don't be embarrassed to raise your hand, but I just have, this is a crazy question I want to ask today. You've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Anybody? Anybody? We got a couple out there. Thank you so much for your honesty. The reason I ask that is we want to know who to pray with today. Because at the end of this service, just to explain what's going to happen in the next few moments, the Word of God is going to come forth, and the Word of God is going to come into your life and change your life. And at the end of the service, we're going to have a time where you can come to the front. And during that time, no matter what your need is, we want to pray with you. But I specifically believe that those who have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost today. It's extremely simple. You just repent of your sins and then just open up your heart and receive it. That's all there is to it. It's a gift. You don't have to beg. You don't have to jerk. You don't have to twitch. If you see people doing crazy things in the Holy Ghost, it's because they want to. The Holy Ghost isn't going to grab you and make you spin all over and roll on the floor. It's going to be, if you do that, it's because you want to. So we invite you at the end of this service to come up. We believe that that's something that God wants to do in your life and that you'll, you'll be a better person and that you'll be glad that you did it. I give honor to my beautiful wife today, Nadine. She brings so much joy to my life, as my, does my daughter, Aurora. And you know, I feel a lot of 
pressure today and, and a lot of nerves. First of all, because I'm preaching to a congregation I've never preached to before in a pulpit that I understand. I'm not even going to try to be the best preacher you've ever heard today. My only hope is that at some point somebody just stood here and bombed it. So I'm not the worst preacher that you've ever heard. So there's the nerves from all that after hearing Pastor Caleb on Wednesday and Pastor Brown last week. But also, my wife has my daughter Addison London in her stomach right now. And she's never heard me preach before. So I got a lot of pressure on me today. This is my daughter's first time of ever hearing me preach. And I believe if she likes it, she's just going to go ahead and kick and say amen. So if you see my wife twitching over there, it may be the Holy Ghost. It may be Addison just kicking her. But if you would stand with me today and receive your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? Do you realize that when you walk out this building after service and you look at the trees... You look at the grass, you look at the beautiful mountains, you look at the sky, you go and look at the ocean, that those all came from the Word of God. Every single one of those things, they came from actually two things, the two things that we're we're highlighting in the service today. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the water. So the Spirit of God moved, and then the Word of God came. And that was in complete chaos. You may stand here today saying, my life is such a mess, I don't even know how God could fix me. If you go back to the very beginning, God was looking down at a world that was in complete chaos. There was darkness. It was void of any form and any structure. And it was in that environment that the Spirit of God moved and then the Word of God spoke. And everything you see out there is a result of the Spirit of God moving and the Word of God speaking. Don't tell me your life is too far gone today. Don't tell me your situation is too dark. Don't tell me there's too much chaos in your life. If you can get the Spirit of God to move in this place, which it already is, I feel it right now. And if you can receive a word from God, God can change your life forever. So we want God's word to move in this place today. First Samuel chapter number one. And we'll begin at verse number three. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, which literally means a double portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved, and not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord 
Eli marked her mouth. We'll, we'll just skip down. Eli thinks that she's drunk and is rebuking her for being drunk in, in the house of the Lord. Down verse number 16, Hannah's explaining, I'm not drunk. Verse number 16, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, but out of the abundance of my complaining grief have I spoken hitherto. Verse number 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace and the Lord God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. Verse number 19, and they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. They rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house. If you put your Bibles down and all across this building, I want you to lift your hands up towards heaven and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person that's represented here. God, you see every hand that's lifted up in this building today. Lord, you see the heart that that hand represents, the life and the situation. God, every person, God, you see every frustrating situation that's in this place. God, you see the people that have been asking you for things for years. They've come to this building so many times with cries of frustration. They've knelt in your presence and wept, God, to the place where they become bitter and cried out to you for their help. God, I pray that you would see those people in this place today. Lord, I pray that there would be a move of your spirit today. God, I pray that something miraculous would happen in this building today. I ask it in the authority of the name of Jesus. God, we believe that today will be a service that we'll look back on for years and say that was the service that God touched my situation. That was the moment that God came into my life. That was the moment that God changed my life forever. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and we give you praise this morning. Why don't you put your hands together in this place and give God a praise. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you shake your neighbor's hand as you're seated and tell them, shift your season. Shift your season. Just for the next couple moments, that's going to be our topic. You know, I'll, uh, I'll give you a little spoiler alert. I'm not nearly as organized and collected with my thoughts as Pastor Brown and Pastor Caleb. I come from the old school where you just kind of go for it. So uh, just just kind of follow along with me today. I know it might be a little bit out of the normal, and I'm not quite as polished as them. But if you would just flow with us, I believe that the Holy Ghost could speak to us in this place today. You know, I met uh, I met Pastor Brown. It was, it was going on five years ago now, I believe. Back in 2010, he came and preached our uh, our youth convention. And we were just blown away by the, the, the ability that he has to, to really present the word in almost a teaching form. But there's that anointing preaching that comes with it. And just it's so powerful. And we just loved it. And, and I served on the Washington District Youth Committee. And every, every single meeting we had after that, the, there was usually three or four names at the top of the list. And Rich Brown was always in the top three names that, that came up as far as speakers that we wanted to, to have come out. And it was always so wonderful to have him and his family come out. And we really enjoyed their ministry. And we're just so thankful to be connected to this church and, and, and plugged in. And, you know, when you, when you talk about seasons in life, it's important to understand where you're at before you can really truly understand where you're going. I've been using a map, my, my map app on my phone a lot lately, and it's been doing pretty good. Apple's improved that quite a bit for us, so we, we thank you, Apple, for doing that. 
But the first thing that you have to do is click my location and make sure that it doesn't have you stuck at the location you were at last time you used it. Because I've, I've done that before, and you start the map, and it, it starts you from the last place that you were at, and you're like, there's no way that it's 1,200 miles to Chick-fil-A. Like, that, that's from Spokane. So it's important to know where you're at so that you can know where you're going. I, I had a, uh, a friend from Spokane that was down. He's interviewing for some jobs down here, and he was, he was staying at our house for a day. And he called me and was telling me, he's like, hey, I'm on Foothills, so I should be there in a few minutes. I'm like, okay, well, don't even worry about your map. I've lived here for seven days. I can tell you exactly how to get here. You want to go down Foothills? You want to turn right when you get to Haven? He's like, weird, that's strange because the map was telling me to turn left. I was like, yeah, I told you, don't listen to the map. You need to listen to me. I didn't know where he was at. He was coming from a completely different direction than I thought he was, and my advice was great had he been where I thought he was. But he wasn't where I thought he was, so my advice would have gotten him lost. So, so it's important to understand where we're at in life and also in the kingdom of God, the seasons that we're in in life. Because just as much as, as in the natural out there, you'll see the seasons begin to shift. You don't see it as much here as I, I did back in Spokane, Washington. We had four distinct, very distinct seasons. And you had to dress for each season. You had to be prepared for each season. When winter came, I had to go and blow out my sprinklers or you, your pipes would bust. And, and you had to be prepared as the season shifted. You're, you had to be prepared for that. Your mindset had to shift. And you had to understand what season am I in so I can understand what to expect from the season. And it's the same thing in the kingdom of God. It's this imperative to us to understand what, what is the season that God is moving in right now? What is the season that the church is in? And sometimes we're, we, we in the church fall back a little bit. And, and the church is forward in this season. And we see other people that they're in a season of blessing. And, and they're in a season of, of financial outpouring. And they're in a season where their family's just going great. And we seem to be in a season of chaos. But it's important to recognize the season that you're in. I'll never forget standing in line at Starbucks last fall and hearing the lady in front of me order uh, a, uh, a salted caramel mocha. Now, I love the salted caramel mocha, but I didn't realize that you could order them because I didn't understand the season that we were in. Because when seasons shift, things become available to you that weren't previously available. So I get up to the counter and I'm like, dude, you guys got the salted caramel mocha? And the guy's like, yes, yeah, sir. Can I make you one? And, and I'm like, go ahead and make me one of those. I want the Vente Extra Hot Salted Caramel Mocha. And I, I found out I could have been having that for two weeks. But I didn't understand the season that I was in. So the things that were available to me, I didn't take advantage of them because it was all, it was all on me. And that's the same thing in the kingdom of God. Is There's times where you could be getting a blessing. Blessings are pouring down all around you. But because you don't understand the season that you're in, you, you end up frustrated. You end up beating your head against the wall. And you end up getting to a place where you're bitter with other people because they're getting the blessings that you feel like you deserve. Now I'm going to give you full disclosure today. Sometimes you're going to find yourself in a season because of a prayer that you prayed. God has a way of putting you in situations and seasons in your life. I'll never forget about a year ago, beginning to pray, God, would you open up my eyes to this situation? I felt like there's something deeper that's going on here, and I don't understand what it is, but will you open my eyes to what's going on here? And when God answers that prayer, I wish to God I had never prayed that prayer. Because there's some prayers that God answers, and you're wishing, why in the world did I pray that? That was a total rookie move. I'm never praying that prayer again. 
But sometimes your prayers and the will of God gets you into situations where, where you're, in a, you're in a barren season in life. You're in a dry season in life. It's, it's like Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. He has prayed a prayer. Now we see Elijah just going up and standing before Ahab and saying, Hey, guess what? By my word, it's not going to rain for years. He's up in the face of the king saying, I know you're the one that thinks you have the authority. You're the one that thinks you can command and that your word carries power. But Elijah says that by my word, it is not going to rain for years. Now, just looking at that and taking it for face value, we think, man, he just had some authority and some confidence. But if you go to James chapter 5, verse 17, we read that he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. Don't be confused with people that have, don't get frustrated when you see people that have all this authority in the spiritual realm and think that you can just go out with the confidence that they have and get the results that they have. No, there, there's another piece to the puzzle. There's another explanation there. All we see is him going face to face with Ahab. You don't see the days and the years and the months that he spent in a private prayer clauses to get that authority and to get that power. If you want to have the power, you've got to pay the price to get the the power. But he prayed fervently, according to James chapter 5, verse 17, that it would not rain. And, and he becomes a victim of the prayer and the circumstance and the barrenness and the season shift because of his prayer. So he's stuck in this season. And we see him stuck by a brook. And he's getting, he's getting sustained by a bird that brings him food. I don't know about you, but I would not want to take food from a bird. Birds are disgusting. Birds are nasty creatures. I wouldn't want anything that a bird had touched. But he's being sustained by a bird, and he's being sustained by the brook. And then the brook begins to dry up. How many know what it's like to be sitting in a situation where you feel like that God's going to bring me through this, God's going to sustain me, and you look at the thing that you know God is using to sustain you, and all of a sudden that thing is drying up on you? I'm preaching to about four real people today. Those moments of frustration where you're saying, God, you told me to do this. I'm following your will. I'm doing what you commanded me to do. And it always gets me in these situations where people don't like me. It always gets me in these situations where I just feel like I'm broke all the time. I feel like I'm just the laughing stock of the job. It's, it's the same exact thing that we find, we find Jeremiah dealing with in Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah literally gets in an argument with God and says, God, I will never speak your name ever again. I won't make mention of it. Every time I do it, people are mocking me. People are laughing at me. He said, I am in derision daily, which literally means I'm a laughing stock daily. I'm so sick of testifying because people just make fun of me. But he said, but his word was in my heart like fire shut up in my bones, and I grew weary with forbearing. Aren't you thankful that in those moments of frustration, in those moments where you feel like giving up in life, in those moments where you feel like throwing in the towel, it's not your intelligence that sustains you. It's not your spirituality that sustains you. Some of you, it's not your prayer life that sustains you. It's not your self-righteousness that sustains you, but it's the Word of God that was in His heart. He said, your Word was in me like fire shut up in my bones, and I grew weary with forbearing. Bearing. If you're in a frustrating situation today, friend, you need the Word of God inside of you. You need the promises of God. You need a fresh Word from God to help you make it through. 
So he's stuck in this place where, where his sustenance is drying up. The thing that he thought was going to bring him through it, the thing that he thought was going to help him make it, that thing is drying up. So he leaves there. God says, I want you to go to a widow's house. So he shows up at this widow's house, and this is all the effects of a prayer that he had that shifted the season. He goes to this widow's house, and she's out there picking up sticks, and she's got this attitude that says, hey, go ahead, show up. I'm getting ready to make one more meal. My son and I are going to eat, and then we're going to die. And this is all because of the prayer that Elijah prayed. And Elijah tells her, you know, don't worry about it. I want you to, the meal that you were going to make for you and your son, I want you to make that for me. So what happens is the word of God comes forth out of Elijah because God had commanded him to go there. So the word of God doesn't only have the ability to keep you, to keep you encouraged in your situation, but the word of God has the ability to sustain you no matter what you're going through in life. Because when the word of Elijah came forth, it was the word of God coming to this woman. He said, I want you to feed me first. And when she obeyed the word of God as it came forth, there was something embodied in that word that had the ability to go into the oil, to go into the meal, and to sustain it, and to be able to feed them throughout the rest of the famine. But it was all because of the word of God that they were sustained through the situation. Aren't you thankful that God's word has the ability to reach into your life? God's word has the ability to find a lodging place in your life and to carry you through those times that you would have never made it through. Thank God for his word. So Elijah shows up and he brings the sustenance with him. And that same, that same favor that was with him at the brook is now with him here. But the next thing that happens is this widow's son, she's already lost her husband and now her son dies. It's like Elijah just can't, he just, he just can't get out of it. Do you ever feel like you're in one of those situations in life where I barely scraped through over here and now I'm in this situation and this should be, we should be smooth sailing from now and then all of a sudden that gets rocky and you're trying to find where do we go from here? What do we do? And Elijah makes this prayer to God and he says, God, please don't, please don't take, take it out on this lady because of me. Please have mercy on her. Don't, don't judge her because, of, because I'm here. Have mercy on her. So her son is raised back up. So, so he's going through this not only this famine in the physical, but he's going through this spiritual famine. Wherever where he goes, it seems like something bad is happening. And it's this moment of frustration in his life. And you better believe that he was praying for that famine to be lifted. And, and James goes ahead and tells us in chapter 5 that he not only prayed for the famine to come and, and he prayed for it not to rain, but he prayed that it would rain. You go through the situations he's been through, and no matter what God's will is, you'll be praying, God, let it rain. Let it rain. Jesus, you need to show up with the rain. And that's what he began to pray. And God tells him, I want you to go to Ahab. And, and really, I want to explain to you what brought this, what brought this message on, especially the, tying it in with this passage here. Is On our way down here, we'd stop just south of, of Redding, California. We're in a motel room, and I was reading through the news on my app. And I began to see about these wildfires that they had. There was, there was some, some in this area and then further down in San Diego. And I felt like it, it really ties in with the Word of God here in 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. And I'll explain to you why here in just a moment. But, but the next thing we see Elijah doing is Elijah challenges 850 false prophets. He says, I want you to meet me at Mount Carmel. And we're showing up there with one purpose. We're going to see whose God is God. 
And the way that we're going to see that is it's going to be the God that answers by fire. That God is going to be God. So they show up on Mount Carmel and there's, there's so much content and, and symbolism and there's so many things that we could glean from this story. But we're just going for really one, one portion here. So we're going to move through it very quickly. But they show up at Mount Carmel and he tells the false prophets, you can go first. So they build these, they build these two altars and, and the fire is going to show up to the altar for the false gods or the fire is going to show up to the altar for Elijah. So the, the, uh, the false prophets begin to dance around and call upon their God, and they're praying for their God to answer by fire, and there's 850 of them just going absolutely nuts, and nothing is happening. And what's hilarious to me is Elijah standing there literally mocking them. Go read the story. He says, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe your God can't hear you. Maybe you need to do that dance you were doing, but just do it just a little bit wilder. Just act a little bit stupider. And before the story's over, they're... They're naked all over the place. They're stabbing themselves. They're bleeding out, all trying to get their God to answer. And Elijah's just standing back, seeing where this nation has really gone without the commandments and the word of God being prevalent in their lives. And it's the same thing that we see when we look around in our society today. You go watch the Grammys and you're seeing a scene from Mount Carmel. You see half-naked people. Elijah's like, hey, why don't you try twerking? Maybe God likes twerking. You're seeing all kinds of craziness happen up on on this mountain as they're trying to get their God's attention. And that's what our world is doing today is they know that something's missing. They're living in a drought. They're living in a dryness. They're reaching for something and they're reaching out trying to get their God to give them something. But it's always unfulfilling. And Elijah steps up and he says, I want you to bring water, pour it on the altar, bring it, pour it on again. Why don't you dig a trench even and we'll just saturate this thing with water. But there was a sacrifice that was brought. And and Elijah steps back, and I'm sorry I'm moving so quickly. You can go read the story, and you'll find a lot more great points than I'm even presenting to you today. Go read the story when you get home. But Elijah steps back, and he, he prays just a simple, I believe it's about 63-word prayer. And he basically just says, God, show up. He's in the midst of drought spiritually. He's in the midst of drought physically. But he still has a faith and a confidence in his God that if I bring the sacrifice, God is going to bring the fire. And I want to explain to you what happened. As I begin to read about these wildfires, I begin to read about about something called a pyrocumulus cloud. And what this cloud is consists of is when the fire takes place on earth, it forces, we know that hot air rises from science. How many went to science and learned that hot air rises. So hot air rises. So the fire forces this hot air up into the atmosphere. And as it goes up into the atmosphere, it cools once it gets to the atmosphere. And the fire can actually create rain just because of the force, this convection force. It's forcing this air up and it very quickly cools, which can create the condensation and the rain. So Elijah is standing there and he brought the sacrifice. He brought the, everything that he could do, he did. He was willing to do the work. He was willing to do the labor. He was willing to get in a situation where, God, you either show up or I'm probably going to get killed. Literally. Because Ahab wanted him dead. Jezebel wanted him dead. After mocking the false prophets for for a few hours, I'm sure they probably didn't feel too good about him. But he's in a situation where it's, God, either you show up or I die. 
And it's in this situation that Elijah does something that I think we can learn from. Elijah creates an atmosphere. Elijah creates a scenario that forces a season shift. He literally forces the atmosphere to be changed by the sacrifice that he brought and by the demonstration of what his God does. Because you look just a couple verses later and we see the rain pouring down from heaven. It's in those moments where you put your faith and your confidence in God. And you bring God the sacrifice and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know if you're going to do it, I want you to do it through me. I want you to do it in my life. If you can change the atmosphere, if you can change my season, God, I want to see you do it. It was that move of complete desperation attached to faith in God. Where he said, God, I'm going to bring the sacrifice. They can saturate it. They can do what they want because my confidence is in you. My faith is in you. Aren't you glad today that you have a God that you can put your confidence in? That you have a God that even when you're backed up against the wall, even when you're outnumbered, even when everyone is against you, that you can say, God, I know that you can do it. I believe that you can change my circumstances. But he's in this situation and he shifts his season by his faith in God, by his confidence in God, by offering that sacrifice up to God. He literally shifts his season. How many believe that God could do something like that in your life today? God can shift your season. No matter how long he's been in the drought for years. Doesn't matter how long you've been praying. Doesn't matter how long you've been asking God. Doesn't matter how long you've had the frustration. If you can just get in the presence of God and bring that sacrifice and present it before God and say, God, this is all I can do and I'm going to do all of it. I'm going to do it with everything in me. I'm going to do it with all my passion. I'm going to do it with all my might. But I know it's not enough. You've got to show up with fire. You've got to show up with power. You've got to show up and change my situation. There's something about being in that situation of frustration and seeing other people. I experienced this recently. I saw other people get my prayer answered and they weren't even praying what I was praying. I was the one praying it and they got my answer and I knew they weren't praying it. But God opened up the door for them, and God kept the door shut on me. It's those moments of frustration. I know what it is, and I'll just be honest with you here today, even though some of you are looking at me like, like you just never had these, these types of thoughts. But, but we'll, uh, we'll pray you through afterwards for not telling the truth. But I've had those moments where I've screamed at God. I've been frustrated at God saying, God, I'm doing everything according to your will. I'm paying my tithes. I'm being consistent. I'm praying. I'm, tr- I'm seeking your will. For months, I literally knelt in front of God and said, God, just show me my next step. I'm not even asking you to show me your will. Just show me my next step. What do I do next? What do I say next? What in the world am I supposed to do? And you're just in that situation where nothing is happening. And that's where Hannah was at. She was in that situation where she was barren and she wanted a child. And it gets way worse than that. Not only was she barren and wanted a child, but her husband was also married to to Fertile Myrtle, 
that was just popping these kids out left and right. And if that's not bad enough, she's literally rubbing it in Hannah's face and mocking her every time they went up to the temple. She knew what Hannah was praying for. She knew why Hannah was troubled. She knew why Hannah was frustrated, and she was mocking her and vexing her. And she's in the moment of frustration that all of us have been in. Where it's not that I don't think that God can do it. I know God can do it. But I don't understand why God's not doing it in my life right now. I don't understand why I'm in this holding place right now. And I'm watching Penina have child after child after child after child. And every single one that she has, she brings it in and shows me. See this cute little baby? Too bad you can't have one. And Elkanah is producing these things in Panina's life, but at the same time, he's attached to Hannah, and he's showing his love and affection towards Hannah. And Elkanah's name literally means God has purchased. And it's possible to be married up and joined up to God has purchased, to the ability to have the things that you need, but you're just not getting those things. And that's the situation that Hannah is in. It's not that she doesn't have the resources that it takes, and we'll keep this G-rated. It's not that she doesn't have the resources it takes to make a baby. She's married up to the same guy. She's having the same relationships that Penina is having with the same exact guy, but she's having different results. How many have been in those situations where you're doing, this, you're doing everything right? You're doing the same thing that somebody else is doing, and they're getting miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. You're seeing the financial blessings come in their life, and you know you're doing everything just right. Imagine adding the insult to injury and having that person mock you at the same time, saying, look what I got. But what's interesting to me is the Bible tells us that God had shut up her womb. There are some situations of frustration in life that you get into, and you're in it because of God. You're in that situation because of God. And let me explain to you why I believe that God shut up her womb. Is Hannah, you know, sometimes we pray for things, and when we do, we ask for what we think is huge, but God had something so much bigger in mind that we would have been better off if God didn't answer our prayer because we're getting shortchanged from this huge miracle that God has because our mindset is so limited and the ceiling of our, our where, we, where we believe, the ceiling of our faith is so low that we don't see this huge picture that God's looking at because Hannah was asking, God, I want to have a child. I want to have a child. I want to have a child. And God shut up her womb because God didn't want a child out of her. God wanted a prophet out of her. She would have been happy with anything. She was looking for a child. She would have been happy with the least of children. But God saw a prophet. God saw a Samuel that would literally change the course of a nation. 
How many of you have a situation in your life that God has closed the door to because your prayer is so small and you're so frustrated and you won't even pray something bigger because if God's not answering this small prayer right now, why would he answer something bigger? But the reason God is answering it because he wants you to pray for something bigger. And she's in, she's stuck in this circumstance. She's literally stuck in this situation of complete frustration. But her dear husband's other wife is popping out kids left and right and rubbing it in her face every time she does. Now, I find this interesting because. When I look at the Paninas in my life, I call them thorns in the flesh. If I've prayed through that day. Got a few other things you call them from time to time too. But her name literally means pearl. And once you get through your situation, you can look back. You know, Jesus did the same exact thing. Jesus looks at Peter. Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, hold on. That is not going to happen. I got your back, Jesus. I will not let that happen. And Jesus turns around and looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. And then Judas comes up and Jesus calls him friend. He comes up and gives Jesus the kiss of betrayal. And Jesus calls him friend. Peter is trying to stop Jesus from getting killed And Jesus calls him Satan. Judas is literally leading them to him so they can kill him. And he calls him friend. But Jesus had the understanding that the people that try to hinder you from getting to your destiny in life, no matter how painful it is, that's Satan. But the people that accelerate your destiny, the people that accelerate your purpose, no matter the pain, no matter what you have to go through to get there, the cross was inevitable to him. So Peter trying to stop him was Satan. But Judas, escalating that process and accelerating that process, that was friend. When you have that revelation, you can look at the Paninas in life because it's the Paninas that make you, that drive you into the presence of God. They drive you into a place of frustration. They drive you into staying up at night trying to make yourself better. They drive you into furthering your career because you feel like you're not good enough around them. They drive you to being a better person. They drive you to being a better mother. They drive you to being a better wife. Those people are valuable. They're pearls in your life because they've drive you to be something better. If it wasn't for the Penina, the pearl in her life, she may have never found her way into the house of God that night and fell down in that moment of complete frustration and said, God, I'm through with this. I'm done with this. I'm sick of living in this circumstance. I'm sick of living below the potential that I know that I have. I know that I have the ability to have children. I know that Elkanah has the ability to impregnate me, but something just isn't mixing. Something isn't happening. It was a mockery. It was a frustration that drove her there. You need to thank God for the people in your life that drive you into the presence of God. You need to thank God for the people in your life that have drove you almost to the point of insanity, but to the point where you say, God, you have got to show up.
Those are the valuable people in your life. But the Bible tells us that Elkanah, he loved Hannah. And he hated that she was in the situation. I believe that Elkanah had the faith that God, that every time they went up to the house of God, every time they made that yearly visit, I believe that there was something in them that said, you know what, I've got the faith that this is the year that God's going to touch her. Aren't you thankful for the people in your life that actually believe that God can do something for you? Aren't you thankful for the prayer partners that you have? For the people that say, you're going to make it. God's going to do that. Just hold on. Because Elkanah says, it says that he loved her. And he gave her, when it came time to hand out the sacrifice for the meat offering, he gave her a worthy portion, which literally means a double portion. Penina and her children all got a portion. They got a sacrifice to bring in. But when it came time to give Hannah her sacrifice, Hannah, you better hold out both hands. Because I'm getting ready to give you two sacrifices. Because there was something about Elkanah that said maybe if she can bring this extra sacrifice and get in the presence of God, that God will do something great in her life. He believed in her and he believed in his God that he would do something in her life. But God had shut up her womb. Her vision wasn't big enough. Some of you, you've been asking God for a job and God hasn't given you that job. Because the job that you've been asking God for, I've prayed this prayer. I look back at the jobs God didn't give me and the promotions I didn't get. And I'm like, God, thank you so much for not giving me that dead-end job. I literally had a situation where I had to choose either I stay in the position that I'm at or take a, or take a promotion. And I, I prayed about it, and I stayed in the position that I was at. And about two months later, God gave me a job that absolutely blew my mind and has been a stepping stone for me getting the job that I have today. If I would taken the other job, I'd probably still be stuck there. But sometimes God shuts those doors and God shut that womb because there was something so greater and something so bigger that he wanted to do. But her season of barrenness had finally gotten to her. She'd seen other people be fruitful and mock her. And just this point of frustration. And I can tell that's where some of you are at just by the look on your face. That you come to the house of God and you come believing that, man, this Sunday is going to be the Sunday I get what I need. This Sunday, God's going to do what I've been asking him to do for years. And you walk away so disappointed and you go home and you cry and you wonder, God, why won't you do this for me? Why, why in the world will you not do this for me? Why won't you open my womb? Why won't you give me the thing that, that I want so bad? And it's when she gets to the point. She gets to the point where she tells God that if you give me this child, this child belongs to you. That is what God was waiting for, is God was waiting to see that, that my success and the things that I'm asking for, they're not all about me. But God, if you give me something, if you give me a talent, if you give me more money, some of you, if God gave you more money a few months ago, you'd just run out and be lost. You'd be out buying all sorts of stupid things and you'd have all this money to travel and you'd be missing church and losing out on God and running with the wrong crowds and doing things you couldn't, you shouldn't do. So God has to wait for you to mature and get to the point where he can give you the blessing that he wants to give you. So when God shuts the door, that's not always a final. 
Sometimes that's just a pause because God's waiting for you to mature. God's waiting for you to get the right mindset. God's waiting for you to ask for the right thing. And she said, God, if you give me this thing that I've been asking for, I will give it back to your service. It won't just make my life better, but it's going to make your kingdom better. If you give me this thing, God, it will serve you. I will dedicate it back to you. So it's in this point of of she breaks down before God in frustration and total dependency and this point of negotiation with God. I remember when I was a kid, I used to always see, see preachers say, everybody raise your hands and pray for a second. And they'd take a drink of water. And I decided when I was a young kid that if I'm ever a preacher, I'm just going to drink water right in front of everybody. But she had been given this provision from God has purchased. Her husband, Elkanah, name means God has purchased, was giving her provision. It was everything that she needed to get her miracle. Nothing changed. She wasn't given four offerings that year or anything special. Nothing had changed, but she had this provision. But every time we read about her up until now, when she goes up, she weeps. She's frustrated. She's vexed in her spirit, and and she just weeps. And she doesn't take what she has and use it properly. She has the ability to get in the presence of God with this double offering and bring a double offering before God, a double sacrifice before God. But we don't read about her using it. We don't read, read about her worshiping. She just cries and comes back the next year and cries and comes back the next year and cries. And she's just frustrated with her situation. But she finally gets to the point of desperation where she comes into the presence of God and just lays it all out before God. She just lays everything out before God and said, God, this is how I feel. This is my frustration. If you'll do this, this is what I'll do. And she gives everything to God and she releases that bitterness out of her spirit. She releases that frustration out of her spirit. She releases that out of her, that, that thing that's been vexing her. She releases it out of her spirit. And Eli lets her know that God is going to do this thing for you. But what I think is amazing is in verse number 19, they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord. We don't read about Hannah worshiping before because what Hannah had to do to worship is she had to bring that offering, that double portion of offering. Now, if you're just given one portion of offering, you can bring it in one hand and just hand it to the priest and you're all done. But if you have a double portion of offering, you've got to bring both hands. Both of your hands have to be engaged in it. And the reason that some of you haven't been getting from God what you've been praying for is you've got your offering in one hand, but you've got bitterness in the other hand. You've got frustration in the other hand. You've got literally hate, you got hatefulness towards your brothers and sisters in your other hand, and you're holding on to it, but you're holding on to an offering in this hand at the same time. There has to be that moment in the presence of God where you let all that go. My situation hasn't changed yet, but I refuse to be bitter. My situation hasn't changed yet, but I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm not going home the same way that I came up here. I'm not going home the same way I've gone home the last couple of years, but I'm coming into the presence of God and I'm releasing it. 
And it's upon that release that she's freed up a hand. She's freed up some energy. She's freed up some passion. Because now I'm not directing all this hatred towards someone. I have a lot of empty passion right now. That's what some of you need to do today. Is come into the presence of God and let everything go. But I'm not just letting it go to letting it go. I've got to free up that other hand. Because there's an offering that I haven't been bringing. There's a worship that I haven't been bringing to my God. There's a praise that's in my heart. There's a praise that's in my spirit. And my circumstance have been holding it back. My situation has been keeping me from giving this praise to my God. And I've got to let it go. So that I can replace it with an offering to God. So that I can replace it with a praise to my God. So I can replace it with a grateful from my heart to my God. I wonder if you just lift your hands all across this building. Just lift up your hands and begin to thank God. Just begin to worship God all across this building today. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. As the musicians come today, begin to praise Him. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Come on, lift both your hands. Lift both your hands all across this building. Both hands. Just begin to release your hands. Release the things that you've been holding on to. Release that bitterness that you've been holding on to. Release that hatefulness. Release that frustration in the presence of God today. You've been holding on to it for years. You have every right in the world to be frustrated. You have every right in the world to be bitter. But you can tell by by looking at your history that what you're doing isn't working. Holding on to that bitterness may be justified but it's not taking you where you want to go in God. It's not taking you to the next level. Your season has not shifted yet. Somebody just try it today. Just release it today in the presence of God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's that sacrifice mixed with the fire that changed the atmosphere. It's that sacrifice. The the fire never came until the sacrifice was brought. Until Elijah has emptied all his resources. Until Elijah gets in that position. Until Elijah gets in that place where, God, I've given you everything. I've given you my life. I've given you my frustrations. I've given you my disappointments. Everything, I lay it before you today. It's in that moment where the fire of God comes down and something happens in the atmosphere that literally changes the environment. The atmosphere is changed. The weather is changed. The season is changed. That season of drought, that season of famine, that season of barrenness is changed because of the sacrifice that's brought. the fire never comes until the sacrifice is brought. Hannah gets a promise, but she never gets a baby until after she's come and worshipped. Until after she's come and emptied herself out before God. She's done with the frustration. 
She's done banging her head against the wall. She's done being bitter. She's done being vexed in her spirit. But now she comes and worships. She doesn't come into the house of God this time to complain. She doesn't come to tell God it's not fair. It's not fair that you're giving Panay and all these children and you're not giving anything to me. She comes to the house of God that day and she came with one purpose, that God, I've come to worship you. I've cried my tears. I've had my moments of frustration, but God, I've come to worship you. And in response to her worship, God shifts that season of barrenness. God shifts that season. It's the Samaritan woman that comes before Jesus and says, I need a miracle. I need you to touch my daughter. And Jesus says, I'm not here to give bread to the dogs. But she falls on her face and worships him. She doesn't just come with a request. She comes with a worship. And she gets an out-of-season miracle. She gets an out-of-season blessing. She gets something that nobody else is getting. No one else in her people is getting. But she gets it. She gets it before Acts chapter 8 when it begins to be poured out. She gets it early. She gets an out-of-season blessing because she comes and falls before Jesus and says, I know I don't deserve this, but I'm here to worship you. All across this building, will you stand? Everybody stand all across this building. you to know he sees your frustration. God sees those sleepless nights. God sees those moments. You don't even know how you got through them without committing suicide. God sees those of you. You literally have had the knife out. You've had the pills out. You've decided that this is the only option that I have. I'm so frustrated. I'm so sick of this right now. I can't go on and live life like this another day. God, you've got to show up and do something. God, either show up and take me and kill me or show up and save me. Show up and do something in my life. This is that moment right now that you've been praying for. This is that moment right now that you've wept in the presence of God for. This is that moment that you've been so frustrated for and you've sought for for so long. This is that moment that God has been waiting for. God has been waiting right now for you to expand your vision. For you to get outside of yourself and say, God, this isn't about me anymore. This is about your kingdom. That what I'm asking you to do in my life, it's not just for me. But whatever you do, I'm going to make sure somehow, some way that it brings value to the kingdom of God. That the house of God is blessed because of the blessing that you give me. God has heard those tears. I want you to let that sink in because the devil's trying to tell you that God doesn't see you. The devil's trying to tell you that God doesn't hear you. Why do you even bother praying? God's not listening to you. I want you to let it sink in right now. God is saying, I've seen every single tear that you've cried. Every moment of frustration. Every time that you've laid on the ground, literally punching the carpet because you're so frustrated. You're desperate for God. God has seen that, but he shut up your womb for this moment. 
Because God doesn't want you to just ask for what you've been asking. God wants you to ask for something greater. It may involve what you've been praying for, but God wants you to expand your vision. God wants you to expand that ceiling of your faith. That God, you haven't done what I've asked for. Why would Hannah even think that God would want her son? She hasn't even had one. She doesn't even know what he's going to be. She doesn't know how big, how powerful, how anointed. But she says, God, I want you to do something so great that the house of God will be a better place because of my blessing. I want you to close your eyes all across this building. I want you to begin to expand your faith right now. Once you get to the point where you can see it, where you can believe it, where you can see God taking you into that ministry. You've been praying for it for years. God hasn't opened the door because God wanted to lift you up further than you were willing to go, and you weren't willing to go there. I want you to release yourself right now and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever with this promise. Whatever you want done with it. I'm not going to, I don't have my own preconceived idea about what it's going to be. But God, whatever you want done with this promise, that's what I'm willing to do with it. Even if I only have it for a few years and i got to turn it back to you. Whatever your plan for it is, God, that's what I'm willing to see done. That's what I'm willing to do with it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This altar is open right now for worshipers. This isn't the time to come up and cry and plead with God, but this is the time you've already let your case be known before God. This is the time to come and worship Him. This is that moment before Hannah goes home with a promise inside of her. This is that moment where she knows that, God, you're going to do something. I don't know how or when or what, but I know you're going to do something. This is that moment to come up with that promise and just begin to lift up your hands. I've got this double portion of sacrifice, and I'm bringing it to you today. I know the last couple times I've come up, I didn't bring it, but I cried instead. But, God, I'm coming with worship today. I'm coming with praise today. I'm coming believing that this praise is penetrating the atmosphere. This praise is reaching up into the heavens. This praise, this worship is changing something up in the atmosphere today. Worship him, worship him. Let it rain. 
Come on, worship Him. Worship Him all over this place. I don't know how it's going to work out, God, but I worship You. I don't know how You're going to do it. I don't know how You're going to fix my family. I don't know how You're going to fix my finances. God, I don't know how You're going to give me that promotion, but I worship You today. I worship You today. I know, God, I may not even deserve the blessing that I'm asking for. God, but I need it. I need You to do something. I know it's out of season. I know it may not be the time, God, but I believe that my worship will penetrate the heavens and the heavens will open up and pour out blessings into my life today. Come on, let that be your prayer today. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. in a service like this last March that a challenge had been given to to really expand your faith and, and believe God to do something that you'd never asked Him for before. And it came from that verse in Isaiah where God literally says that if you believe that I'm God and I can do anything, in one translation it literally says then shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon. And it was in that service that I'd been praying for something beginning of, of 2013 I prayed you know what God I want this to be the year that I make this there's a certain amount financially a threshold that I've never broken before I said God I want to make this this year and in that service I really felt God challenge me of is that really a, how big you think I am that's that's not that huge of a request and I decided in that service and I only prayed this prayer one time I said, God, I turned 30. I know I, I know I look way younger, like 19 or so, but I said, God, I turned 30 on August 4th. I want to make this amount of money before I turn 30. On my paycheck on July 28th, I broke and even went above and beyond the amount that I'd asked for. I tell you that as a testimony. There's services like this where you can ask God for something, and at the moment it was impossible. It was, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. It was so crazy. You know what? The, the craziest prayers are the ones you can't tell until like a year later after they've been answered. Because if I told anyone that prayer then, they'd be like, you're nuts. That will never happen. The craziest prayers are the ones that you go home and only you and God know you prayed them. You can't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my wife until they got closer and I could tell it was fixing to happen. But it's those crazy prayers. It's the services like today where you could just reach up and say, God, you are so great. You are so awesome. I believe that you can do anything. I don't know how you're going to do it. But if I'm going to get a miracle, I'm not going to get a small miracle. If God can give you a small miracle, he can give you a big miracle. 
That's my challenge to you today. One more time all across this building. I want every single person to do this. That thing you've been asking God for, I want you to take it up a notch. And I'm not preaching some kind of bogus prosperity doctrine. You may not even need money. You may not be asking for money. It might be something physical. It might be emotional. It might be something that we don't, we can't even think of and you can't even say out loud. But I want you to take it up a notch and say, God, I don't want you to just do it. I want you to surpass it. And we serve a God that can do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. I want you to think of something huge all across this building. I want everybody to participate. And I want you to lift your hands up towards heaven. And I want you to tell God what that thing is. This is just you and God. This is like a year and a half later testimony you're going to have. You know you can't tell people because they'll think it's nuts. But I want you to begin to pray that to God right now. That God, my faith in you is so great that I believe you can do this. And I believe whatever you do with this, God, I'm going to make sure somehow, some way, that I find a way for it to bring value to the kingdom of God to my spiritual life. If it won't fit in that, then don't pray it. But God, I want to find a way to bring value to you for my purpose to be found in the kingdom of God, for my passion to line up with your passion, Jesus. If you could do that today, I want you to pray with great faith today. God, I want you to do something awesome in my life. I want you to do something above anything I've ever asked or thought before. Ask it today in Jesus' name.